Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 363, BGG Top 100, Winners and Losers. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Welcome back, everyone. We're so glad to have you join us here this week. And before we get into things, just a little note, uh, first note of note is uh, apologies for some of the technical problems that we've been having over the last several weeks. That's completely on me. I've been moving around a bit and you might actually hear still some more uh, that we're currently working on. And actually, in fact, I'm on my fourth microphone. So hopefully things are sounding a little bit better for you. Uh, Turns out podcasting is, in fact, very expensive to do. So I say it each and every week, and I mean it each and every week, but let me say it one more time. Uh, Thank you to all the Patreon backers. We could not do this without you. And hopefully this episode will be much, much better in technical quality and hopefully um, reaches you in a time of just fun and joy because it is Valentine's Day, man. Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Anthony. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's always a fun, cute time of year, uh, especially now that I have children. Like in the past, it was like, okay, we got to find something, you know, like obviously still do something for the wife, but it, it was like a whole like, got to nice. figure out where we're going, what the plans are. And now it's just like, all right, do we have the Valentine's for the kids? We have to make sure yeah. that they're good to go. They have, they filled them out so they're not going to cry at school and get the candy, yeah. and the, um, which is fun. I'm, I remember how much fun that was for me when I was a kid, so. Yeah, I remember being a little kid and you you used to have to get like a box of cards for the entire class so that, you know, nobody was upset. So you write those like little tiny little cheap kind of cardboard cards for each and everybody in the class. That was a lot of fun. Um, so right. you all are receiving our very own Valentine Gaze gift for you because our episodes are now coming out on Mondays. Mondays, Woo! right? Mondays. That's a thing, right? They yeah, were coming out if you like your podcasts, if you like them on Monday, then you're very happy. If you do not care, then you are okay. But um, it's fun. It's there for the start of the week. Like I know I only listen to podcasts during the week, like on the weekend. Sure, stuff to do, right? Family and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's nice to have it in the queue at the start of the week. Absolutely. So hopefully this Monday is finding you well, uh, full of love, especially love for board games. Because that will be actually our episode this week. Uh, big shocker there, Anthony. An episode about board games we love. And, you know, if you're going to talk about board games you love, segue, uh, there is a super great, amazing list of a 100 of them that we love. And that's BGG's top 100 board games of all time. Because it seems like everyone has a top 100. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, we do, too. <laughs> By the way, (laughs) just so you all know, it's on our website. You type it in. Um, Those have actually been updated relatively recently. We didn't have an episode because it wasn't like a huge monumental change from one year to the next. But websites update a brand new list as of like January. So definitely check it out if you're interested. What games snuck their way in in COVID times when we're not playing any games? There are a few, though. A handful (laughs) did get in there, at least for my list. So check it out. Yeah, so that's our top 100 list. You can find it on BoardGamersAnonymous.com or just Google BoardGamersAnonymous and you'll find a tremendous website with all the little fun things, including all of these episodes and many, many more things on there. So check it out. You will be surprised. And again, you will fall in love with us all over again. 
because <laughs> you know board games, board games. It's the it's the uh, the bridge. It's how you get to someone's heart. Definitely cardboard based. Yeah. So Anthony, <laughs> uh, we'll be doing that for a feature review, talking about the top 100 and especially all the winners and losers. Because again, it's Valentine's Day, so of course there's winners and losers, but. <laughs> Um, again, these are winners and losers at cardboard based. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll have a soft, cushy, you know, cardboard landing for everybody out there. Uh, before we get into our feature view, uh, we want to talk about what's most important, which is all of you. So, Anthony, what's our question of the week? All right. So (laughs) on this day of love and joy and being together with people that you care for, let's talk about something that makes us mad. Uh, what game is in most need of a rulebook rewrite? So I've asked people before, like what the worst rulebooks are. And there is some overlap with this question, but like specifically, if you're going to sit down and rewrite something to make it more accessible, what would it be? Um, so we got a bunch of good answers here. Uh, we got the tried and true Robinson Crusoe, which they did update. It's still not good, but it's not like top 10 worst. Mm. Uh, that it was in the first edition. That original rule book was horrendous. Um, Andrew mentions Imperium Classics and Legends, which I have to agree with because I picked up this game last May and I still haven't played it because the two or three times I've sat down to learn it, I was like, this rule book's kind of cruddy and I just don't have the mental energy to get through it. And then it doesn't... And if, if you've ever done that thing too, like where you sit down to play a game and the rule book's no good and then you put it back on the shelf and then mentally you're done with it. Right. It's just like, I tried. I'm never bringing this off the shelf again. And when you finally do, it's like a, even harder to get through it. So that's where I'm at with Imperium right now because the initial rule book impression was no bueno. So it was not good. Um, Jesse mentions the Tricarion rule book. I would expand that to Mind Clash games in general. Their rule books are rough going. Um, yes. I had a heck of a time with Cerebria. Oof. Not a fun one. So, um, Tricarion for sure. I've tried to learn that one again since I got in the, the big box just to play it solo. And I was like, there's mm-hmm. so much stuff here. And part of that's like Absolutely. Turchy and his rules, but there's so much there. Um, Tommy mentions Fields of Fire uh, for by GMT. And I know so mm-hmm. some GMT games are really good and some are not. And I'm always intrigued by why. <laughs> like, mm. um, they make generally very complex games and some of the rule books are very well written and easy to follow. And some it's just like ping, 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 ping. It's, I can't, I can't get all the information I need to actually wrap my head around how to play a game. But then I look at like space core and that's a great rule book. So yeah, maybe it's just the quality it comes in as, um, Kenny and David both mentioned mage Knight, which mage Knight's a funny one because really, any of uh, Vlada Shavatul's rule books, they're generally not good to learn a game, but they're mm-hmm. funny. So like, he's a funny guy. And so there's like little funny jokes and like the interaction between um, like as a writer, I read that I'm like, this is clever and it's a fun thing to do with the medium. The problem is it mm-hmm. doesn't make it easy to learn the game, which is what it's supposed to do. So rhetorically speaking, it, it is missing a couple steps, but you watch the video, you read the rule book, you get the post of both worlds. It's great. Um, okay. So, yeah. I mean, those are a few of the ones that people mentioned. I know we had a couple on our Instagram, which I wanted to Ooh. plug here, because I've been putting in some uh, hours over there to try to grow it. And it is growing. So, thank you for everybody who's followed the Instagram account. Um, I do post the questions of the week there 
most of the time when I remember. So mm -hmm. <laughs> definitely hit that up when you can. Um, so AC Holt mentions Merchants of the Dark Road, which is a relatively recent game. Uh, mm -hmm. Just came out is apparently not very good. Uh, he says it is f not First Martians terrible, which is another Portal Games game that was. Oh my, that's what's going to be my game. answer. Yeah, that was okay. my answer. <laughs> that's a bad one. Yeah. Um, but he he, he would like a rewrite for that. Um, and then Tabletop Time mentions Twa, um, which is a funny one because that's really not a complicated game, and the rule book's only like twelve pages, but it isn't very good. I will agree. Like I've. The couple of times I've relearned that game, I've gone back to the rule book first, remembered it's bad, and then went back to YouTube because there's plenty <laughs> of good videos at this point. So, um, Nostal Jeff says, honestly, I just have a component list, an FAQ, and a QR code that links to Rodney Smith's Watch It Played video for every game. I'm like, yes, that would be amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, lots of good stuff. Thanks for everybody who wrote in. There are many, 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 many good rule books too. So, we. We'll have another question in the future about the best ones, um, but <laughs> man, there's a lot of bad rule books. So come on, guys, get it together. <laughs> I think in particular, a bad rule book is when you're reading the rule book, the game seems impossible, and then you play the game, and it seems very easy and simple, and you're like, w why? Why would it be this complicated? Why would this be this messy? Why did you write it this way? It makes no sense. It makes no there's no logic to it whatsoever. You know, we were just talking about the book of Boba Fett. So it just kind of reminded me of that. <laughs> it's like, why, Speaking why would you do no logic? Oof. 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 Yeah, no, that's a good point. And it reminds me of like fantasy flights approach to rule books because they do that, like basics you need. And then like a reference book separately. And you have to go back and forth between them. And it makes it seem really complicated. And like the one that I always come back to is like the original Lord of the Rings LCG. That was like a 37 page rule book. Those LCGs are not that complicated. <laughs> no. But like the first two or three times I went to play it, I was like, this is too much. And when I finally did play it, I'm like, oh, you just do this, this, this and this. And then that's it. <laughs> OK, and the rest is on the cards. Um, yeah, it also reminds me when, when we go through rule books, it reminds me of that scene from Beetlejuice, actually, in fact, where they're talking about this kind of special handbook for communicating or living with the undead. And they keep referring to it as a, a guidebook that basically reads like installing stereo equipment. Now I don't, <laughs> I don't know where, why or where that reference comes from or why it's a thing, but it's, you know, it's really weird. Board games are meant to be played. They're meant to be played by a wide range of audiences and a wide range of ages and different languages and nationalities. And they're always the most challenging things possible. And there's been so many of them. I think like you mentioned, Anthony, Mind Clash games just generally has been challenging, usually because they right. throw way too much stuff in their game. Uh, Capstone games, at least initially when they brought a lot of games over, was incredibly challenging. The, I think the one that sticks out with me most is the roar uh, a mm. story of coal trade i got okay. that game i was excited about it i read through the rule book i don't know i don't know if i was reading it upside down or what and then i remember watching a video online and and it wasn't it wasn't one of the main like walk through rule book people and he went through like it must have been like a 2 hour kind of explanation and then at the end he was like 
I could possibly be wrong about several rules based on the rule book. And I was just like, oh, no. And that game, that game sat in my closet for like the longest time until it came out on Board Game Arena. And then I attempted the rule book a second time and was able to get it to play. And it's not a bad game. And it's just so funny because when you play it, it kind of it plays on rails. And you're just like, why, why, why would this be a thing? It's it's actually a pretty straightforward game. But the rule book was almost like intentionally bad. And yeah. it's just, it blows my mind that somebody would like go at, I don't, again, I don't know. Like, again, early capstone games, the problem was maybe All some translation yeah. issues. And I get that. But then obviously later on, there was something else at play there because it's, but now they don't have that problem anymore. So just good for them because those yeah. things are nightmares. Yeah. Their budgets went up. Yeah. But like my own answer was going to be Wildcatters, which is also a Capstone Games release where, again, they just took the original rule book and presented it as is. And it was really, really difficult to learn. And I finally did play it because someone else had learned it and taught it. And playing the game, it's not that complicated. Um, and then it's funny because then Coffee Traders from the same designers as Wildcatters, I was really nervous about that game when it came in because it's a lot of pieces. And I'm like, this yeah. rule book's going to be terrible. And the rule book was great. So I don't know what changed, but good job, Capstone. You fixed it. <laughs> Nicely done. All right. Well, that's what's going on with us. If you'd like to hit us up and let us know about the rule books that you have a serious problem with. And clearly, they did not write the Book of Love. So check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and, of course, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Again, we talked about all the great stuff that's over there. If you haven't been there in a while, check it out. All right, Anthony, that's everything that our listeners are talking about. Let's talk about the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. So mine is up on Kickstarter right now, and it is a sequel to a game that we played on BGA Live about a year ago, Trekking Mm -hmm. the World. This is trekking through history so uh in this game you get presumably your time travelers of some kind i don't know the backstory of, of why you're traveling through time but you are traveling through time and you have an itinerary um there's 24 unique itineraries in the box and you're you have to go through and basically check off everything on that itinerary like see the different things you're basically matching symbols from cards but um but the cards themselves represent all these historical moments right so there's just dozens of different cards in the box, um, 108 of them, uh, history cards and the 12 ancestor cards. And so you're going to go through time, kind of traveling through this clock, um, collecting these different icons based on the types of historical events you're trying to view. And the artwork on the cards is beautiful, right? It's it's very colorful. It's bright. It pops off of the card. Um, I really like the artwork style here. It kind of reminds me of not necessarily the style of seven wonders, but like the initial view of it, when you have like a tablet of cards in your hand, where everything just kind of pops and jumps out at you um, definitely has that look. And so you're, you're moving through, you're trying to, you know, collect these different things. And it's very similar, at least in terms of weight and complexity to trekking the world where you're moving around this map and you're trying to collect different things, right? You're seeing the world, you're doing fun stuff. Now you're going through history. You're doing fun stuff. So um, the game is relatively simple in that way, which is why it's enticing, right? It's a good family game. Um, And it's educational at the same time. Each of these cards has like a nice little bit of flavor text in the back. So you can learn about these different events and people. And it just looks really nice. Now, the thing that's really interesting about this, because we talk a lot about Kickstarters being terribly expensive and then the shipping on top of it, is that it's 
$50 for the game, right? Which is what it's probably what it'll sell for at retail. Plus you get the two expansions. So there's a solo mode and then an extra like um, time travel expansion or something like that. Time warp, I'm sorry. And then the shipping is free. Free shipping in 2022 on Kickstarter. I don't know how they're doing that, but they're doing it. So um, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely interested in this. I wish there was a way to like try it out first because it is a family weight game just to see if the family would like it. But I'm still considering backing it anyways because I did like Trekking the World. And this just like the artwork is really enticing. The, the fact that there are some like educational elements to it that I know my kids will enjoy, like learning about these events. That seems cool. Game looks very accessible and it's kind of fun, like civilization-ish time travel theme. And uh, it's not going to break the bank. It's 50 bucks and it's 50 bucks. That's it. So um, trekking through <laughs> history it's on Kickstarter at the moment for a couple more weeks. Uh, check it out if you're interested. I am still considering it. Nice. Yeah. Again, it's trekking the world is a really good family weight game with a lot of really nice artwork. And it doesn't like play down or speak down to players. So even if you play with families and you're just like, oh, this is nice. This is kind of fun. Um, I think you get a good game out of it. I think we, we enjoyed playing it. And I, I think that most people generally, you know, like it. They like it a lot. So, um, no, that's great. And then again, I like the idea that they're taking, there's a new take with it too. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah definitely I mean, it's, basically, check out too. it's basically set collection, except with the weird, like it's asymmetrical set collection, which is kind of a cool idea. So mm-hmm. I dig that. Very cool. All right. Well, I want to talk about another Kickstarter that we are kind of familiar with, and hopefully you've been familiar with. This is Evolution New World. Uh, This is a campaign that's running until Friday, February 25th. You have heard us talk about Evolution, talk about time travel. Uh, One of our earliest episodes was an early, early, super early review copy of of Evolution. And at the time, we did not like it. It did not play well. And since then, they've evolved. I don't know. I'm sorry about that. Um, They've evolved the gameplay quite a bit. They've evolved the artwork. They added multiple expansions. They've added climate to go along with it. And now they have an anniversary edition of this game. So it just tells you how long, in fact, we have been doing this. So Evolution New World um, allows you to play Evolution with a lot more artwork, uh, solo mold mode that kind of goes into this and it allows you to get i guess again like you said anthony a little bit more of educational kind of effect to it i wouldn't say it's straight up education um i don't know if anything is like purely like double checked and triple checked but a lot of the concepts here of the predator and prey do play out here so this game came out at least the original game came out way back in 2010 so 12 years later, they've obviously have updated this game incredibly and have really put some nice artwork to it. I think that was the thing for the original game. It was very much built on, I don't know if you want to say prehistoric, you know, I'm not sure what, what particular period in history it was. But now we're looking at actual um, animals that we're a lot more familiar with and how they're um, evolutionary kind of... Uh, tactics to hunt, to reproduce, to uh, defend and attack um, are all available. So you're going to see a lot of great creatures in here. You're going to see a lot of great aspects. And the idea is you put together 
your particular evolution for that particular creature and allow that creature to gain points by eating food and growing larger and growing in numbers, which allows you to eat more food, which is, again, scoring you points throughout the game. And you'll, you'll be able to, you know, grow your different, you know, menagerie of animals using all these different uh, special abilities. So it could be running, it could be sharp vision, it could be burrowing, it could be poisonous. Um, there's just a lot of different aspects to animals that we know today that make them so unique and help them live in the wild. So great game to check out. Um, lots of ways to kind of play with different families and friends. I don't know if it's necessarily a family family game. I think that's the kind of focus to it. Um, but it's definitely one of those situations where you could throw the combos together and kind of play through. But this is more, I think, Anthony, maybe maybe kind of like I don't know if you agree with me, but this is more of a gateway game, you know, more than just like, I don't know if I would have children necessarily playing against adults in this game. Uh, it's a little more challenging than that, but uh, a very good game. It's currently on Kickstarter and you could back it and um, not too bad on the price side. I, you could you could pick up a retail copy of this game for $35. You could pick up the full game with the expansions and a little bit more kind of Kickstarter bonuses for $50. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I, I don't know why I just really have not gotten into evolution. I've had a copy floating around here for a while and I've tried to play it a couple times with the family, mm -hmm. but I recognize that it's a good game. Everybody I play it with is like, this is good. Mechanically it's good. It plays well. It just doesn't click for me. So sure. like these new versions, I'm always like, yeah, I feel like I should get it because <laughs> it seems good and it'd be good for the family. And I don't want to play it. My daughter would love this. She would sit and draw yeah. all the animals on the cards, probably. Absolutely. So I, might, I might get it just for that. So she has the artwork, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's, I still never got over that first play, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I really love the aspect that you get to build or, I guess, evolve this creature to have so many different survival techniques by putting piecing all these different cards together. It's a lot of fun. But as you said... The first version was not very good, and then multiple versions have been better throughout time. I feel like the climate change, the climate, climate change, the straight up climate, although I think there is some climate change there too, but the climate version was the best. But again, you're taking somewhat of a simple concept and you're adding a, a high level of complexity to it. And also there's a, there's a take back kind of mechanic because you're, you're kind of building up. Uh, your particular creature and you're taking away resources and you're taking away possibilities from other players. And then you're also attacking other players too. So if you're a really wise and savvy adult at the game table and you're building this really hardcore carnivore, your kids at the game table may not know what to do, but again, beautiful right. artwork, beautiful gameplay. I, I recommend it. I like, I, I haven't played this version of it. I know a lot of people have already you know, had preview copies, but I've liked the original, you know, throughout in one, in one format or the other. All Great. right. So those are the games that we hope to get to the table at a future point. Anthony, let's talk about the games that did hit the table and we'll let people know if those are games or a buy and they should run out and pick those games up if they are a play and they should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and they should avoid them or if those games are in fact the dreaded burn and they should avoid them at all costs. So Anthony, what do you have for this week? All right, so we actually got a chance to play games together. Crazy! I know. I took the train up. We played some <laughs> games. So uh, uh, this is one of the games that we played, and so uh, you know, 
thanks to everybody who sat down to play because it took a very long time. Um, but <laughs> uh, we brought this home from PAX Unplugged, uh, Batoku, and it was one of the hot games at PAX. It's still highly ranked on Board Game Geek, so it was like one of those ones like sitting on the pile, like we got to get this played. Everybody's buzzing about it, and once. Arc Nova and Boon Lake come in. I'm not going to get to this. So we're going to play this game. And we did. Um, the theme of the game is that you are a forest spirit. And the great forest spirit is about to retire, I guess. Like wander off mm. into the, the nethers. And so they, somebody needs to rise up and take their place. And so you or one of your fellow players will become that by doing one of 73 things in the forest. Right? Um, and that's really how I best define this game is... You're doing a bunch of stuff. Just all the stuff. There's so many different things you can do. Um, good and bad. I don't know. You know, it's it's definitely point salad in the purest sense. I know some people have pushed back on that, but I don't know how you could play this game and not call it a point salad game because it took us 15 minutes just to score at the end of the game. There's a lot of different places to get points. Mechanically, the game's not actually that complex. Despite everything going on, the board is like busy as all heck your personal board has stuff everywhere but the basic idea is you have a hand of three cards you'll draw four at the beginning of every turn uh around you'll discard one and you have three you will play them and take the action on them that will unlock dice that then are available to take worker actions to basically become dice workers that you can place on the board you take corresponding actions those dice can then you have the option to move the dice up the river and take a different action above that that lets you get new cards that go into your hand and that's basically it those are the action options that's what you do on your turn right so on any given round of which there's four you have up to nine actions you can take i say up to because you can choose not to move your dice across the river you might have a, a card that doesn't really do anything um because maybe you drafted portal you pick the wrong one or you you do shuffle and draw them out so maybe it's not a good card for you but all the stuff you then do, the actions that come off of the cards and the dice and the moving of the dice, that's where all the, I say complexity, but the game's not really that complex. It's just busy. Um, there's a lot of stuff. So there's resources you can get. There's jade and sake, stone and wood. Um, stone and wood you use to build buildings, which go out on the map. And then you can activate those buildings when you place your dice out there. So it's kind of like Lords of Waterdeep. Somebody owns the building. Anybody can use the buildings. If somebody uses your building, you get a bonus. Um, there are these little dragonfly things and then spirit things that you tablets you get. And when you combine them, they activate and give you special abilities one time. Um, there are uh, gems or crist crystals, I'm sorry, uh, that you can place on your player board that will either give you bonus points when you take a certain action, income, or activate when you use one of the card slots. There are stones you can place on your board that will give you endgame scoring opportunities. There are endgame scoring cards, basically the act as contracts that you can fulfill. Um, there's probably one or two other things I'm forgetting, but you get the idea. There's like seven or eight, I can't remember exactly how many, but there's seven or eight different unique things that you can do that will help you score, and it comes into your tableau or you affect the board somehow. Um, there's a path at the top of the board that you can move your little pilgrim dudes on and visit shrines or gates. Um, those are worth points. They're also, they unlock other abilities. You can retire your cards at the end of the round. So every card has a, an ability or points at the bottom. So if you retire that card, you get that, but the card's gone from your deck from the rest of the game. And so the challenge of the game is 
it's not a programming game necessarily, but you want to have the right cards in your hand to take the actions you want to take. You also want to make sure you have the pips on your dice that allow you to take the power of action you want. So when you go to an action location, the amount you can do that depends on the pips on the die. So if you put a one die up in the action space, it doesn't do much. It just moves a little guy on a track. Um, and that, that track will be like, you're the highest on the track, so you get points. <laughs> it's just point tracking at the end of the game. Yeah. Um, if you have a six on the die, you get the super powerful action on that spot. When you cross the river, those dice go down. So the one can't cross at all because it can't go down. And the six drops down to a three. So you can only use your six once. Next round, it'll be a three. Uh, a three. So that's one thing you have to manage. The other thing you have to manage is your pilgrims. So you start the game with three. Uh, the rest of them are all locked and sleeping. And you have to get those crystals to unlock them, which you will need to do if you want to go to multiple shrines and gates at the top of the board, which a lot of those endgame scoring cards require, or if you want to place down where the stones are on your own personal board for the endgame scoring there. So endgame scoring really does need those pilgrims, so you do need to get the crystals at some point, but it also depends on what actions come out. So the turns that you take in this game are somewhat determined by what you need to do at that point in time, but also there's some worker placement so people can get in your way. Um, when you place the dice, you have to place a die equal to or higher than the dice that are already there. So if somebody drops a six, you need to have a six to be able to go there and take that action. Um, so it definitely brings in some worker placement elements to it. I'm not going to go on and list any more mechanics, and there are a few more, but there's too many, all right? There's too many mechanics in the game. I don't... I know... Some people love their point salad games. I love my point salad games. I own 21 Stefan Feld games. <laughs> like, I love them. But this one, I feel like, goes... I said when we played this, it has two to three mechanics too many. It needs sure. to be paired back. It's just mm -hmm. two to three too many things. Um, because it, at the core, and Alex, who we played this with, he said this, at the core, the game is... It's kind of elegant. Like, you take these actions that unlock this other action. And when you take that action, it unlocks this other action, like these cascade of actions that you can take. And they're only available in this certain order. And then there's ways to kind of jump the line. So like getting a die on the map is really powerful, but you can't do that until you play a card. But you could burn a pilgrim to unlock a die to be able to play it before anybody else, right? These are cool things to think about. And that alone as a game would have been really, really good. I would have given that a buy out right out of the gate, right? But then layer upon layer upon layer of tracks and tokens and things you put together and all this stuff. And it just becomes cluttered. It's not even fiddly. It's just cluttered, right? It all works together in its way. And the rules aren't that terribly complicated. But the box is two hours. It took us close to four. I don't see it being done in less than three because of the number of actions people take. Um, so it's a, I don't know. Like, I. It's right on the line for me. Um, I think I'm going to say it's a dodge. I did enjoy it to some degree, but I don't think I would play it again. Right. And I might try out the solo mode just to see if like it's streamlined and you can get through it relatively quickly, but it was too long and there's just too many things to do. And some of those things are not very interesting. Right. Some of those actions are just like, get these resources and you're like, woo, I did it. Um, or I want this dragonfly. Well, that one costs a resource you don't have. I'm like, okay, I'll wait till the next round to get a dragonfly. I don't know. <laughs> like, um, you don't get that, like that flexibility of action. 
that you really want in a Euro game. And it feels like it should be here. And, and at the same time, it's not quite as tight as like a Lorenzo where people are fighting over those elements and they go out of the, out of the board and you, it's always tight and it's always like that. So I don't know. It just doesn't quite do any of the three or four things it's trying to do a hundred percent. Right. Mm-hmm. I want a game with this action mechanic though. Cause I think it's very cool and I think it works really well. So that's Botoku. It's really high on the dodge for me. Bottom of the play. I'm going to probably stick with dodge. Cause I don't think you should, I don't know unless you really love point salad games that kind of just let you do a, hundred different things if you like that cascading scoring at the end of a game where you just keep scoring things this is that game so um there you go but token yeah i i think i agree with you anthony as far as the play versus dodge kind of situation it's on that fine line if you look online and you look at this game and you look at the board and you're like oh I, I love the look of this game. I could stare at this board for hours and, and I could see that. I, I could see a love for the artwork here, all the different creatures that come into play, as you mentioned, Anthony, all the different aspects that you're able to use. And all of that is honestly like colorful, fun, and and as Alex had said, certain things just unlock. And as they unlock, they kind of roll to give you more actions But I also think, as you said, too, I think at the same time, I think the thing that was missing from the game for me is that there was no culminating big action. There was no like, Mm -hmm. you do this, this, and this, and therefore this, and that just never really happened. And I think uh, Jeremy was playing with us, and he mentioned, you know, this, you know, the point salad games, or in particular, one of the point salad games, Trajan. Mm -hmm. as far as like having a whole bunch of spaces in which you could do things. But the thing with Trajan that really kind of set it apart is how you initially were able to place your resources so that that whole um, Rondell, Moncala kind of thing kind of came into play where if you wisely set everything up, if you moved everything to the right spot – and then you triggered things, you felt like that big satisfaction that you were smart. Here, I felt like I was doing things, but I don't think that I was doing anything particularly well or like, oh, cool, you get to put these cards over here and you tuck them over here and then you move. Like I never really felt like I never really felt like there was a moment where everything kind of culminated, came together, there was a big payout of points or I unlocked something in particular. And I think we talked about this too. Some of the cards that come out that you get to add to your hand to play as actions, some of the cards sometimes leans towards one path or one spot in that kind of point salad. So I think at the end of the game, we started finally to get in the cards that would give more and more of movement, but they only came out at the very end of the game. So using the top track or the the bottom right top track was really challenging because I think all of our pilgrims on top were just kind of clustered around the initial starting point and they never really got to use the bridges because I think we were all moving at like one or two speed and that was disappointing. And I think one of the other things too was I was collecting a set of cards of all different colors, but there were certain rounds where all the cards that came out were the exact same color. So what's the point then of collecting cards if there's not a selection of different colors? It's just randomness for randomness sake. So again, I don't think there was anything particularly bad about the game. I 
think I would sit down and play it again, but I, I honestly, there's so many more games that does this better with yeah. the exception of the artwork and color that I would rather play to feel that I did something. And again, when you play a point salad game, you don't necessarily expect to win. You expect to do things and hope that they score points that wins you the right. game. But here it was like, oh, you built a building. Well, I don't have to go near that building throughout the whole game or even activate that building. Oh, I I got the Firefly token, but I never got the matching one. And even if I did, all I do is get a couple of resources. So it was, yeah, it was, it, it's, it's fine. It's just fine. And again, from the looks of the game, you expect something a little more uh, meaningful, I guess, especially yeah. the theme. I, th- I think I think you really hit on the nail on the head with the lack of culmination, right? Yeah. Everything you do does something, and every action you take will score you something, right? Which is what a point salad game does. If you don't like that, then you definitely wouldn't like this. But the, you don't have that big turn. You don't have the massive combo where you're like, I did this, and that finally unlocked this, so now I'm going to do this, this, and this, and that's mm-hmm. going to give me that... like. That's the thing I like in those kinds of games, like in a, it and Stefan Fell games always do this really well, where you have like those two or three turns per game. It doesn't happen often, but it happens a couple sure. times where everything falls into place and it's like da 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 da. And you're like, oh man, look at all those points that have scored. <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> this game, we we just kind of ticked along on the score track. Like yeah. two, three, one, two, three, two, three points. And at the end of the game, we all scored like a hundred points. Yeah. And it, it, I don't know. It just wasn't as satisfying for the amount of time and energy put into it. But there's definitely something there. I th- yeah, yeah. So I think we're on the same page on this one. It's. I wish it was more. I'm not surprised when we saw it and we got the demo of it. This is kind of what I expected. But with all the people buzzing and glowing about it, I was like, maybe I'm missing something. And it turns out I wasn't missing anything. So. Yeah. The only thing I can imagine here, Anthony, is if they did put out some sort of expansion. And I know Devere is not really known for that. So we probably won't see an expansion, but maybe if there was, again, you're building towards something, but you're not, it's not going anywhere. And you feel like, like you said, for the commitment of time and effort, it should have gone somewhere or some, like, like we said, there should be an, an ascension of a character that kind of reaches that instead of just like, Hey, you got a bunch of points. So maybe the solo mode. Maybe this should be a solo game. I mean, maybe there's a lot of games out there that either are point salad based or are just that kind of obtuse that they might as well just be a solo game. You know, yeah. score a lot of points and see how you can do instead of like score a lot of points, but a lot of people standing around you going, Oh, I scored points too. I scored points too. And at the end of the game, you're <laughs> it's like a difference of ten points, and you're like, Oh, all right. I guess you I guess you collected that one card that I needed. So yeah. bull, good on you. Good on you. All right. Well, talking about point salad games, I have a quick and small point salad game that actually might work for you. This game is Furnace. Now, Furnace comes from a designer that Anthony and I recently discovered and loved a lot of his games, Ivan Lashin. So you probably know Ivan from uh, Smartphone Inc. And I guess you will know him for Mobile Markets, a Smartphone Inc. game. Uh, Basically, Smartphone the card game, but nonetheless, a very good game, although we can't review it yet because I think we only got about halfway through yeah. our first game of that at PAX Unplugged. So Furnace, again, is somewhat of your typical Euro game. It's an engine building game and you're a 19th century capitalist, <laughs> big surprise here, in the industrial age, utilizing 
um, coal and oil and metal and all the other kind of uh, traditional materials back in the day. And basically what you're doing is you're building a production chain. So as you get your resources, you take the opportunity to upgrade your own machinery so that you can process the resources at a higher rate and for a higher value. Certain resources obviously are better than others. Oil, when it's processed, is going to give you more points, where coal is going to be a little bit less valuable. But you can run an engine where coal eventually leads you into, let's say, metal, that which leads you into oil at some point. So again, it's somewhat of a straightforward short game. Now, the game itself comes into two particular areas uh, or phases. So the first one is an auction phase, which is interesting. You get four auction pieces, very plain basic discs from one to four. And you look at the tableau of cards that are out in front of you, the marketplace here. And on each of the marketplace cards, you're going to see a particular resource or a transaction that could be made on the bottom of the card, you're going to see, again, another resource or transaction that could be made. And then there's an opportunity to upgrade the card. So that will give you actually the opportunity to kind of like activate that card on its upgrade side and then be able to use that later in the game for that additional valuable resource. So you take your four discs, you decide what you want to look for. If you drop your four your highest number on a particular card, nobody else can go there. No one can outnumber your number. So that card is yours. So when it comes back around, moving from left to right, that card will enter your tableau but will not trigger on the board. Everybody else who placed a number there will trigger that card that number of times based upon the top effect. It could be resource-based or it could be actually some sort of production transaction kind of based. So it's a really interesting auction mechanic. I was immediately taken by it because usually when auction mechanics, it's just like you win or lose something. But now you're winning something all the time, whether you're winning the card or you're using one of your other numbers to be able to uh, score up a production. In fact, you can actually win a card, not the production, but win a card with a low number if no one else places a higher number up there. That's basically the auction section. The production section, again, once all the auctions complete, the production takes place on the market board and then takes place on your actual board in front of you, which again is pretty awesome because if you put together a good production and that kind of supply chain runs through and you're able to process all your production and goods, you're going to score a lot of points. So again, um, another kind of, I wouldn't say point salad game because basically what we're looking to do here is put together the best engine possible, not necessarily based on efficiency, but based on like large number production. You're also going to be able to be getting in your own little capitalist that's going to give you a special ability throughout the game and a starting card that's going to give you resources and starting upgrade um, parts and machines to kind of move forward. So uh, Furnace, short, small, quick game that you're able to get to the table And again, very simple, very basic resources, nothing too crazy. Three resources that come into game and the upgrade tokens. Pretty much it. Four rounds and you're done. That's Furnace. I am going to give Furnace a play. Um, I do own the game, and I own the game based upon the pedigree of the designer. The only reason why it doesn't get a straight-out buy from me was because at the end of the game, I did feel like I wanted more to the game. They are coming out with an expansion, from Arcane Wonders. So maybe if the expansion kind of gives me a little bit more to the game, gives me a final destination to put all those goods instead of just 
counting up points, maybe moves up to a buy for me. But right now, it's a play. How about you, Anthony? Yeah, yeah, I think I agree on most of those points. Um, it is still a buy for me, but I also agree that I want a little bit more. I just like what it does, anyways. Like, mm-hmm. it's a funny thing. Like, um, all, all the things that it does, like that auction mechanic is so good that it is. I'm just like, this is fine. A game with just this, and then you run your engine, great. And it's fast. It took less than an hour because everybody runs their engine simultaneously. So it just really yes. flows really smoothly. Mm-hmm. The, the auction, though, the thing about that that's so good, and the reason it's so strategic is a lot of the times you don't want too many cards. If you get too many cards, they're not going to do anything. You're actually wasting mm-hmm. actions. You get a card maybe that's redundant to another card you have or a card that doesn't produce anything until it's upgraded, but it's not worth getting the upgrade in there. But you get the resources based on the token you place there, and you need those to run your engine that you already have. So it's like this push-pull balance between how many cards to get and how many resources to try to get. And I love that, like trying to ride that line. Like it's it's like the best part of an economic euro, but built into an auction, which I think is so cool. Um, the engine, like when you run the engine, that part's less interesting because it really it is, is just... You have a bunch of cards in front of you. They all activate. You just basically have to decide the order in which they activate. And that that's your decision making for that part. Um, so that part, like you said, I'd like to see a little bit more. But just based on that auction element alone and the fact you get like an economic euro in 45 minutes, it's a buy for me. But if they do something with a second half, it'll be a double buy. <laughs> so buy this and buy the expansion. Um, but no, I really like this a lot. Yeah, I think, again, one other thing I'd probably add to that is for people who haven't played the game, if you ever played Seven Wonders, right, it kind of builds up. This game really doesn't. So I think we had an odd first round where we had a whole bunch of production cards, but we didn't have the natural resources early on. So the supply chain was a little weak. And then like towards the end of the game, certain cards came up that would have been beneficial for me because I had a basic a coal engine, but I didn't really have a machine to really, you know, you know, pull in the points. That card just happened to come out later. It didn't come out early. So the cards are kind of random. So it's a hit and miss kind of situation. Uh, that kind of bumped me out. But again, the game is rather short enough that, you know, you, it doesn't leave a sting. Like if you're playing like a, a two or three hour game and you're still waiting for that one card to come out to like, allow you to like really run your engine and not just putter along a little bit. So um, just something to keep in mind, looking forward to the expansion and uh, I'm hoping and praying it's exceptional. All right. So that's everything from our at the table. Now on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we're talking about love. We're talking about BGG's top 100 board games of all time, the winners and losers. So Anthony, you happen to frequent board game geek every once in a while uh tell us about this top 100 list that you that we're talking about this week i have been known to spend some time there yes uh-huh, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. so uh yeah the top 100 on board game geek is kind of the the go-to reference for all of us um i say that as we ourselves run a podcast that's almost nine years old and have our <laughs> own top 100 list that's almost seven years old and yet we still reference this one because it is kind of the Mm-hmm. The, the central piece, right? This is the the games. And the way they do it is needlessly complicated, I think, because they weigh in people's ratings, the recency of the game, the number of ratings total, and it just creates... It, they have an algorithm, basically. Um, 
So it's not always like the game that has the highest rating. It's the game that has the highest combination of those things. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, it ends up being the games with the highest ratings. So it, it's an interesting mix. And it's always interesting to me when a game is able to shoot right up that list, like a brand new game. And so like we did this not quite two years ago. We went over the Board Game Geek Top 100. And so what we did is we went through and we looked at what it was then and what it is now and marked what went up and what went down and what's new to the list. And we figured, what well, why not share what's worked and what hasn't and maybe guess a little bit on where things will go from there. Um, because the list is surprisingly stable. I know a lot of people give it grief for changing a lot. It's surprisingly stable. But yeah. there are a lot of big changes in here nonetheless. All right, Anthony. So with that said, let's run down the top 100, starting with number 100. Yeah, number 100 is Trajan. It's down 10 from last time. It was number 90 before. Um, mm-hmm. So it's right on the cusp of falling off the list. We were just talking about this, but uh, Stefan Feld's about to lose one of his games off the list. So. Yeah, this game's been around and with us for a long time. And I think that this game will drop off the 100 because, again, it's a good game, but at this point the obtuseness of it i love the moncala i mentioned that earlier but i think eventually will it'll just disappear from the top 100 and then eventually get lost to time until they eventually reprint it in a super crazy version of it that we all have to pay like all the money's for no stop it i know (laughs) queen um and to be fair all of these games are going to drop one spot because arc nova is coming in like a shooting star can't stop It's the second coming from what I hear, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'll hold I'll hold back a bit. Let's we'll, let's see. I really hope it's just a play for both of us so we can oh, have it like so that everybody wants to burn to the ground. Oh my god, to be like those you guys, guys get this, this game. <laughs> That's funny. Um all right. So next up we have a brand new game to the list from for us since two years ago. Uh Decrypto at number ninety nine. It's a weird one, right? It's a really weird one. I've played this several times at my normal game group. I was like, why are you pulling this out? It's it's a pretty good game. It's a really good family game. Why it's the top 100? I have no idea, man. Like, this does not make any kind of sense. Good game. Top 100 game? Absolutely not. I don't, I yeah. have no idea why this is here. <laughs> I can't, I can't decrypt why it's here. Huh? <laughs> it's Sorry. a secret. That's too bad puns in one episode. The technology is better, but the podcaster, not so much. But uh, (laughs) I appreciate you still listening and loving us. Thank you so much. Yeah, those of you still here, we we appreciate you. Um, (laughs) It's a Valentine's episode. So number 98 is Tigers and Euphrates, uh, down 10. These old games are all dropping. It's just what happens. It's how this list works. (laughs) This is one of those games that has really some intense love behind it, but I've never really understand it. I played it multiple times. It's just the abstract of the abstract. But again, it's a, it's, it's a well done game. It's just, it's never hit my table, you know, purposely. And I I think again, as you mentioned, Anthony, I think this will find itself off the top 100, never to return either. Yeah. All right. Uh, Number 97 is a game that's also shooting like, straight up like a shooting star and it's your favorite game of all time the isle of cats yes why why, it's on why there. Is they're shipping out the expansion as we speak and there's going to be more cats on that island it's going right up the list you're gonna love it what's the venn diagram between cat lovers and board gamers i don't i don't know what that is but i have still I mean, not I'm played not- this game so again 
I'm just going to reserve judgment and just still go why because I don't <laughs> I don't understand. I'll bring it to the next game night. We'll, we'll uh, it's besides Batoka. We'll play this next time. Oh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> it won't take four hours though. I promise. <laughs> It'll just feel that way. Okay. Oh come on, man. Uh, okay. So 96 and 95 games from about the same time, uh, 2013, 2014, Russian railroads and patchwork, both down 13. Uh, both of these are amazing. I would, it would be a shame to see them drop off the top 100. Yeah, both very good games, uh, both classic games. I think patchwork will hang on. Patchwork has had multiple re additions. I think they even came out with a recent Valentine's day one. So I think this will stay yeah. here. Russian Railroads hasn't had its German Railroads expansion out for a very long time. Now they have sure. Asian Railroads out there. So I think it'll stick within the top 100. Yeah. The thing is, I think this will drop out and Ultimate Railroads will probably jump in because they put it in as a different listing. But I, the uh, game will be there. It will represent the version that neither one of us will buy because it's $130 or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Come on, Asmodee. Uh, all right. Number 94, Lorenzo Il Magnifico is actually up five. So that's mm. kind of cool to see for a, a game that's six years old now. Um, I know that there's the second edition just released from Simon uh, for like 90 bucks or whatever they're trying Unbelievable. to Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So yeah. Yeah, this is crazy. But I, I think this is another game that will stick around the top 100 going forward. Yep. Uh, all right. So a, a big batch here of games that all fell um, different chunks of, of space. And they all come from the same general time frame. Rising Sun is down 19. Uh, Raiders of the North Sea is down just 6, but it is down. Eldritch Horror is down 18, and Mombasa is down 10. So, any surprises for you in there? No, I mean, Rising Sun is a game that I, I like a lot, but we recently had Ankh and Kemet re-release, so plastic on a board is kind of like been done a thousand times, so Rising Sun no longer, you know is alone in that kind of thing. Raiders of the North Sea, there's been multiple versions of that, at, at, you know, and iterations of that at this point. Eldritch Horror, again, there's been multiple endless number of Cthulhu games. Mombasa has its own problems and it's getting a revision slash reprint in something that's a little more consciously aware. So yeah, again, no surprises as far as those are concerned. Yep, definitely. Um mm -hmm. Number 89, Domin Dominion Intrigue. So mm -hmm. kind of the standalone big box for Dominion's down 10. It's the quintessential expansion for Dominion. If, if you own Dominion, you're, you're owning Intrigue. So um, good on it for sticking around this long. I don't know what's going to happen with Dominion, but if Dominion's on this list, Intrigue's on this list as well. Sure. Uh, 88, The Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth is up eight spots. And honestly, I think it'll... I don't know where it peaked. I think it might have peaked a little higher than this, and it might be dropping because yeah. the, the new expansion just came out. It is the year of Lord of the Rings uh, because we're in that kind of like 20-year anniversary trio of years for the, the trilogy and the new TV shows coming. Mm -hmm. But they're done making content for this. They're not releasing anything more. And because it's app-based, I think it's going to fade away. Um, I love this game. I wish it was higher, but it's. I don't think it's going to be up here too long. Yeah, we'll see. Again, like you said, as far as what stock is available, once the TV show comes out, people might be interested in picking this up. Right. Um, all right, we got a big chunk of old games here. <laughs> They're all down, because that's what old games do. Um, Twa is down 6. Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition is down 14. Battlestar Galactica, the board game, which is forever out of print, is down 8. Kalis is down 18. 
Um, although there is the second edition of that. And El Grande is down 12. Yeah, I think these games are all suffering from either they've been reprinted and upgraded or they're gone and not coming back. So whether it's a Twilight Imperium 3rd edition should not be on this list. I have a personal problem with BGG keeping on additions in their own ranking. Or right. like again, like you mentioned, Kalos has a new edition out there. El Grande, I think, is is being sought after for another reprint. So again, not a big surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Twilight Imperium will drop off at some point. Like the first edition of War of the Ring finally dropped off at some point in the last year. And yeah. TI3 will eventually as well. Yeah. And even uh, Battlestar Galactica, the board game, had a, I guess, a rebirth with, was it Unfathomable with the Cthulhu yeah. version of this? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's, it's moving up, but it's still too new, I think, to be up on this list yet. Yep. <clears throat> Um, 82 architects of the West kingdom. It's down four, but it does mm-hmm. have two brand new expansions that were just announced. So I have a feeling there are a lot of games from Shem Phillips on this list, by the way, I think there's like four. There is. So like highly represented on the top 100. Yeah. These games are really quick and easy to play. I've played, I think almost all of them and architects of the West kingdom is the easiest one to get to the table. Yep. Uh, Keyflower at 81 is down 19 whole bunch. Yeah, Keyflower has been a you know classic since way back in 2012. I'm sure it was on that list at this point too. And there's so many games in the key system, but Keyflower still remains the best of all of them. Yeah, it's a shame it's down so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, 80, Tainted Grail, The Fall of Avalon. That's one of these big box adventure exploration games. It's up 11. People love these things. I have not played any of them. We'll talk about a few, but I have not played any of these. Yeah, I haven't played it either. It's a lot of amazing looking plastic. I think this one is here because it had such an amazing Kickstarter campaign that if you did back it, you're probably rating it a 10 and everyone else hasn't played it because they couldn't afford to take a second mortgage on their home. Right. (laughs) Good call. Uh, 79 is Grand Austria Hotel. It's up 19 because of the expansion. Because of the Um, expansion. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, by all accounts, this is out of print again, though. They didn't actually put it into retail. So, like, there's versions on eBay going for a couple hundred dollars, which mm. I think is insane because it just shipped like six months ago. Crazy. Uh, 78, 77, 76, a trio of older games, Dominant Species down 19, Lords of Waterdeep down 13, and Agricola down 7. The revised edition, because the other edition is also on this list. Yeah, Dominant Species New Marine Edition is probably what's pushing this back. This Dominant Species should always remain in the top 100. Lords of Waterdeep is a great game. Classic gateway game should always remain in the top 100. I don't know why there hasn't been another expansion for it. Agricola Revised Edition is a very good revised edition. But again, it's another Agricola edition, which, again, I don't know how many you could have in the top list, but it's Agricola. And again, uh, Pandemic Legacy, Anthony. I mean, you played it, right? Season Zero? Not season zero. No, I've played season okay. one through to completion. Season two, I have not started. Season zero is new to the list because it came okay. out after the last time we did this. Um, <laughs> but by all accounts, it is an improvement on season two, but it is ranked lower. So I'm not really sure where people land on these things. <laughs> so, um, all right. So number 74, uh, one of our favorites. This used to be in the top five. And now it's down to 74. Seven wonders. Down 20. Yeah, and I think this is just the fact that they've overproduced so many different versions of Seven Wonders, and some of them are better, some of them are worse. So again, not surprising, but again, again, this game should always stay in the top 100. It is a modern-day classic. Yeah. Um, Five Tribes at 73 is down 12. 
It's out of print. It's hard to find. The expansions are incredibly out of print, so not surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, 72, The Voyages of Marco Polo. It's down 24 spots. You people are crazy. This game is too good to be down 24 <laughs> spots. Come on. Um, that ex- expansion's also out of print. I'm not even sure if that game is fully in print now because Asthma Day, but mm-hmm. it, that might be part of it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Teotihuacan is down 11, and that game has been getting recent expansions, so I guess just interest is waning. Mm-hmm. Robinson Crusoe Adventures on the Cursed Island is down 20, but they have a bunch of new content coming for that soon. Um, just from the recent GameFound campaign. Clank is down 6 at number 69. Uh, and Fields of Arl at number 68 is down 10. Race for the Galaxy at number 67 down 12. So a bunch of games that kind of came out in the last, I don't know, 5 to 10 years that have all kind of slipped back. Yeah, Race for the Galaxy, again, you got to be impressed. It's had so many different versions and expansions and role for the Galaxy, and yet it's still here at number 67. Again, another lifelong classic game. All of these are kind of in some way or the other, but uh, Race for the Galaxy is really a game that other games kind of pull their genius from. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, number 66, the another Shem Phyllis game, uh, Paladins of the West Kingdom, is up 18. Uh, mm-hmm. So this one is That's this one weird. is going strong. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why? I mean, I played it. It's fine. It's not a bad game, but it's just okay. Mm. Yeah, I, I think this is the most popular of that trilogy. It's and it the did have best, an expansion last year. It's so. the best of all of them, game mechanic wise. It's also the most problematic of all yeah. of them. But <laughs> I don't know. This list still has Mombasa and Puerto Rico, so why not? True. Aeon's End at number 65 is up five, which is impressive for a six-year-old game. Yeah. It's just, they keep churning out content. Mm -hmm. Android Netrunner at 64 is down 13. I'm surprised it's not down more because this game's been Mm -hmm. out of print now for three years since they lost the license. Yeah, classic Uh, game. Yep. Through the Ages, (laughs) the first edition, Story of Civilization, is down 20. Again, it'll eventually fall off the list because this is not the version anybody can buy anymore, but it's still here. Why? 62. I know. Why do they keep doing that? 62 is Crokinole, the oldest game on the list uh, from 1876. It is up to six spots. People are all about their Canadian dexterity games. It's one of those games that like you can legitimately buy an awesome version of this at almost any time, almost anywhere, and like throw it up on a wall or throw it on a table mm-hmm. and just impress the heck out of people. And again, before I played this, I was like, really? Really? And then, you know what? It's a really good game. I, yeah. I I can't believe I'm saying it, but it's a really good game. It's just, just don't break the bank to buy a giant round wood table. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Um, all right, number 61 is another one with two editions on the list. Eclipse, the original edition, down 16, because of course it is. There's a new one. Uh, number 60 is Azul. It's down 14, which I find... Mm. Maybe it just gets diluted with all the different versions. Like yeah. Less people buy this one, they buy the other ones. I don't remember off the top of my head where this, you know, how far this rose because Azul was such a hot game for such a long time. I mean, do you remember, Anthony, the $300 version of this? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's still hot. They're still releasing versions of it, but not as hot mm-hmm. as it once was. Nope. All right. Uh, the first of many uh, releases from our Good friend Vital Lacerda, uh, favorite designer of ours, uh, Lisboa at number 59 is up eight spots. 
not a surprise. It was one of my number one game of all time. And again, another classic game. Yep. Quacks of Quedlinburg at 58, up 17. This game keeps going up. Like, and it's you like know, a long, slow burn. It's four years old. Like, it's a really great game. I remember playing the prototype really early on, and the fact that they came out with two expansions and recently a big box. But you know what's keeping this on the list, Anthony? Come on, you know what it is, right? It's those chips from Board Game Geek, right? It's like the chips from Board Game Geek are almost like, or almost, or even more, more expensive than the base game. I know. It's just crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like if you buy those, you automatically give the game a 10. You're like, well, you I spent $150 to. on this game, so 10. It's a 10. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, it's a good game, though. I enjoy it with the family. Uh, yeah. Number 57, The Gallerist, another Vitale Lacerda game. It's only down one, holding mm-hmm. steady. This is my favorite Lacerda game. Uh, 56 is Le Havre, down 12. Uh, Uwe Rosenberg classic, but it, you know it's from 2008, so it's a little bit older. Mm-hmm. A big, big drop here at number 55 is the seventh continent down 29 spots. Yeah, this is weird. And again, it's another one of those games that and you'll see a lot of games on this list that are here because a select group bought this through either Kickstarter or bought this through because it's their type of game. And then no one else has played this game. So I think people are kind of done with it as far as kind of like a solo kind of experience, like they played it and now they're kind of done. They're like, eh, yeah. it's not getting new people. Yeah. Yeah. we got another one of those coming up here in a mm-hmm. moment that has dropped a bit because of that. Uh, 54 is star Wars Imperial assault. It's down 13, but that game has, they stopped producing content for it two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. I have all of it. It's amazing. One of these days I'll play it all. <laughs> um, number 53, another Vitale Serta game on Mars up 23 spots since last time. That's crazy. It's That's great. It. That's crazy. Wait till the expansion comes out. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for that expansion. I'm going to play mm-hmm. it so much. Uh, <laughs> Mechs and Minions down 13 spots at number 52. Not too surprising. It's it's getting on an age and it's a little hard to find. Yeah, it's it's amazing that this game... I mean, again, it's a great game for a great value. I think it was like $75 and it's an amazing, amazing game. And yet at the same time, like it has zero support behind it, right? Like there's not other versions of this or expansions coming out. This is it. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. Uh, A trio of games that have fallen a good chunk here. We have Clans of Caledonia at number 51 is down nine spots. Kingdom Death Monster at 50 down 15 spots. Power Grid at 49 down 13. And Zolkid the Mayan Calendar at 48 is down 10. So Kingdom Death Monster kind of in that same bucket as like Seventh Continent where the people who have it love it, but there aren't that many ratings. So as the volume of ratings for other things goes up, this one falls in the rating, I think. Absolutely. And again, if you've not opened your Kingdom Death Monster and want to donate it to a good cause, (laughs) I'll play it. But yeah, Anthony, it's it's, it's one of those very, very unique games that only a, a small select group of people would ever get to table. And if you've ever seen the, the miniature monsters in this game, I don't think anyone's ever going to touch this who don't, doesn't love it from the, you know, the get go. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, 47 is an acrony. It has not changed. It was 47 a year and a half ago. It is 47 right now. So that's a, that's a big credit to mind clash games to get a game so high on the top 100. I mean, I'm not saying it's not a good game. I'm just saying, like congratulations like that's awesome yeah absolutely yeah it's it's a tough sell you look at it and it's like what is this about it's so it the fact that it works is great 
Yeah. Um, another tough sell is PAX Premier Second Edition, which is about <laughs> the the great game of countries vying for tr- control of Afghanistan in the 19th century. So that one's at 46. That's a new entry on the list and was, I think, my game of the year in 2019. I don't remember exactly, but it's it was, a, it was very you, high for me. Anthony, I did think you did a great job here because, you know, mentioning the, the, the concept of the game. Again, this is a game that, honestly, I probably would have never played, and I played it, thanks to you. And I again, I, I ugh, why? Why am I playing this game? And it's a great game. <laughs> it's really <laughs> it's just good. It's a great yeah. game. Again, there's games that are above and beyond their, again, don't get me wrong, like, the concept here is fantastic, but also, even if you're not into the concept, you're going to enjoy a great game. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I love this game. And I didn't think I'd like it either. When somebody put it down in front of me, I'm like, I don't really want to play this. It's like a war game. But then you play it and you're like, wow, this is brilliant. I love this. So, um, all right. Number 45, Underwater Cities, up seven spots from last time. And number 44, The Crew, Quest for Planet Nine, is up 21 spots. Although I expect that to drop now that we have the new version of The Crew, which is much better. So, Underwater Cities is one of my number one games of all time. Still remains there. It's it's basically Underwater Cities or Lisboa. So, yeah, I'm glad that this is still rising. If you haven't played it, play it. I mean, really, it really is. Again, the rule book is a little crunchy and chunky, but just watch a video online. And it's, it's a very simple game to play. The crew, again, up 21 to number 44. It's exceptional. Mm-hmm. Exceptional. I don't think, you know, if someone said, do you want to buy stock in a, a trick-taking co-op game? I would have been like, come on, <laughs> man. Like, right. get out of here. Let, let me buy some really, like, stable cryptocurrency while I'm here, but not that. <laughs> So, yeah, this is amazing. But, yeah, you're right. The second edition is going to drop this one out like a rock because they're almost identical, but the, the new one's better. Yeah, yeah, there's no reason to buy this. If you, unless you really like the space space theme, don't buy this mm-hmm. over the other one. Mm-hmm. Uh, 43 Mansions of Madness second edition is down 11 spots. Um, I think this game is still supported, but it is getting on an age and it is app-based. So, like, the technology starts to get a little old and people get iffy on it. Yeah, it's just there's too much Cthulhu out there in the world to kind there's of, a lot of you know, <laughs> yeah, it's just so much out there. Um, all right, real quick, Pandemic Legacy Season 2. We mentioned this before. It's down eight spots. I have not played this one, but by all accounts, it's weaker than the first. So <laughs> there you go. Um, 41 is Barrage, which is up 54 spots since we did this last time. Sure. Yeah. That's crazy. That's so crazy, man. <laughs> we we have a couple cheerleaders in our comments who anytime a question comes up that the answer could possibly be barrage, they say barrage. barrage. And so I think what happened with this game is that the initial ratings were very bad because everybody on the Kickstarter gave it really low scores because they were super mad about the terrible Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. That was three years ago now, four years ago now. So people having actually played the game now, they're like, actually, this game's amazing. Now that it's playable, we've gotten past all that. And so the ratings have gone up. Um, I've played it a couple times over the summer and I was like, wow, this is much better than I remember. And I'm glad I'm not remembering all the junk with the Kickstarter anymore. And I've actually have pieces that finally work. But <laughs> it's um, it's a very good game. It does. Be- it does belong on this list, but it is not very high. That is. Uh, Marikaibo's at number 40. It's up nine spots. Um, the expansion just mm-hmm. just released last week. So it'll probably go up even a little bit higher. Uh Agricola, the original edition, not revised. One of the rare cases where the revised edition is lower than the original is down 12 still, but at number 39. 
I think those will definitely switch spots at some point. So um, if you're thinking it's a better version, it's not. Buy the revised edition. It is a better edition. It's much more streamlined and the board is much better. Awesome. Uh, Too Many Bones at number 38 is up 15 spots. This is another like long burn game. It's eight, five years old now. Yeah, again, this is one of the most unique games that are, that's out there from Chip Theory Games. And again, it's another one of those games just like, you know, Kingdom Death Monster. It's either you love it or you hate it just by the looks of it. Right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is very true. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 37 is Marvel Champions, the card game. It's up 20 spots since last time we talked about it. <laughs> I love this game. It's in my top 100, so I'm happy to see it up here. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised, but again, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe is just is a real thing, so why not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have four mainstays of the top 50 here that have all dropped a little, but not a lot. Uh, Blood Rage is down Blood to three. Rage. Blood Rage. Yeah, sorry, I said it wrong. I said it wrong. You did. Uh, I played that Converter today, the, actually. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, yeah. It's on Board Game Arena now, which is it's great. Part, yeah, in beta, in beta. And I'm like playing that game and I'm like, oh, these people don't know. These people are trying to play this game like it's Risk or something else. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, this is going to be a hard game for you people. So, but yeah, Blood Rage. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird that this game's old now because it felt so fresh I for know. so long. And now it's like, this game's seven years old. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Back in my day, we blood raged and we liked it. (laughs) (laughs) And we yelled it into the microphone. We did. Um, So Blood Rage is down three. Caverna is down eight. Puerto Mm Rico is down nine. And Food Chain Magnet is down five. Uh, Puerto Rico has been falling for years now. It used to be number one. Like when I got into the Mm -hmm. hobby, it was number one. Mm -hmm. Um, Still in the top 50, but just slowly losing that ground as people realize it's very problematic. (laughs) Very much so. I also want to make a special note. Food Chain Magnet, when this game came out, considering the price and the complexity, it is astounding that this game is at number 33. Again, it's an amazing game. And again, it is a little bit challenging to play if you haven't played any heavy Euro games, but invest the time into playing this. I think this is a game that really kind of rewards repeated play and it can scare you away and it can be threatening to you as you play it. But again... Um, number 33, man. Isn't that impressive? I think that's impressive. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's even down a little bit. Like, it used to be even higher. Yeah. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so a couple new ones at 32 and 31. We have Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy, the new version of that, which I would love to play, but it's impossible would to play. love to play it. Impossible. And then yeah. Lost Ruins of Arnak, which we just played last weekend and is in my we top did. 100, and I love this game. Uh, mm-hmm. It's at number 31. Very high for me as well, and we just recently played the expansion, which we'll talk about at a later point. Yeah. Uh, number 30 is Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated, up 64 spots from last time. Crazy. I know people love Clank, but this is crazy to me. Just absolutely insane. So Yeah, people love Acquisitions Incorporated. I think that's probably more of the, the rationale behind it. Maybe. But that's true. 64? <laughs> number yeah. 30? I mean, I mean, well, way to represent. That's all I could say. That's I'm going to yeah. leave it at that. Yeah. yeah. Good fans. You guys are good fans. Yeah. Great fans. <laughs> uh. All right, Mage Knight board game, uh, down five spots, still in the top 30. It kind mm-hmm. of floats around this area and has ever since I've been aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Everdell is up nine spots to number 28. This game just keeps on chugging, four years old now, mm-hmm. but up in the top 30. Number 27 is Orleans. It's down four spots. It is um, one of those games that, it, it's funny, like when it first released, I was like, it's good, it's fine, it's interesting. 
but then they just kept releasing content and it kept going and now it's you know just kind of a mainstay here at the top of the list yeah it's much better with the expansions and much better with the additional buildings if you if you've never played it you owe it to yourself to play it is best is you know i love quacks of Kundenberg, but this is better this is a better bag building game and it's a lot of fun right uh number 26 uh my number two game of all time which if if I could get it played more often, because you could even vie for number one if if well, neither game gets played. But uh, Root is up five spots from last time, and I think it'll go up a little bit further even in the next couple of years because there is another expansion coming with a lot of new content later this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Viticulture Essential Edition is down four spots at number twenty five. Uh, Arkham Horror the Card Game down five spots at number twenty four, and Wingspan actually dropping down to number twenty three, down three spots crazy uh, again i think we anthony and i joked about this way way early on i mean i'm, I'm talking when wingspan for, first came out and I, and I was like predicting go back to the tapes i'm like yeah this is going to be in the top 20 so it did hit the top 20 i think it'll go further than that i think this is one of those games that sticks around for a while yeah yeah i'd be surprised to see it fall much yeah, further. I think, no i think it's going to go back up i think i think it'll it'll break into the top 20 again at some point right um all right and the people say it i know i know we disagree but the people say that this is the best uve rosenberg game a feast for odin at number 22 <laughs> the people say it well to be fair the people also said agricola was so good that they they actually said it twice in the top 100 so true. <laughs> yeah that's true if you add those together maybe <laughs> it's like new york new york they liked it so much they named it twice so yeah yeah all right i'll give that i'll give it to you um, Terra okay. Mystica at number 21 is down six spots. Um, that's hundred percent because of Gaia project. <laughs> yes. Like, you really like, I have both, but a lot of people, you don't need both. No. Um, number 20, Brass Lancashire down two. Concordia also down two. seven wonders duel also down two. So all three of those just shifted down a couple spots. Not a bad thing. I mean, they're, they're not going anywhere. Although, uh, Lancashire is is suffering from its twin that is far yeah. better than that. And Concordia is always going to be in the top 20 around somewhere in there. And, and again, great yeah. game. And Seven Wonders Duel is, honestly, you could argue, is is the best version of Seven Wonders. I I would say as such, yeah. Okay, I, would, I would definitely take that argument. <laughs> uh, number 17, up 13 spots. And... We got like up in a tizzy about this last time we talked about it because it was mm-hmm. at number 30 and now it's at number 17. That's Nemesis. crazy. What are you people doing? I, <laughs> I, I have friends in Pittsburgh who love this game. I so It's I've, just because we haven't played it, but it's I haven't played it, but I'm just amazed how high this is. Number 17. Oh, geez. Mm. It's, yeah, I don't understand it either, but uh, I know people love it. So mm-hmm. someday I'll try it. I'll see what the, all the fuss is about. <laughs> number maybe they're, all, maybe they're all infested by aliens because that's the game right yeah. maybe that's the thing yeah yeah right yeah they're they're in your head um number 16 is brand new to the list just in the last year uh dune imperium i mean i mean dune the movie just recently came out uh, the villeneuve version of it um that being said it's still a very good game the expansion recently came out i know you picked that up anthony i'm really looking forward Mm -hmm. to getting it to the table uh it doesn't really make number 16 for me but i still do like it a lot yeah i don't even know if it's a top 100 for me but i haven't played it with a full group of people either so 
like Arnak was a game I could play with two or one and love and made it my top 100. Dune Imperium is not great at solo. So no, um, I, I look forward to it. I will bring it again next time. We will play this. Please. Yeah, let's let's do that soon. Yeah. All right. Uh, 15, 14, 13, and 12 more or less just kind of change positions amongst themselves. Um, Castles of Burgundy, Scythe, Twilight Struggle, and Great Western Trail. They're all down between one and three. Gotcha. So these are just kind of mainstays at the top. And we're at the top now, so there's not too many things that are interesting up here. There's just things kind of jostling a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Spirit Island at number 11 is up two, which is great. Almost in the top 10. Deserves to be in the top 10. I want to see it. Deserves, it. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 10 is War of the Ring Second Edition. It's up two as well, which is crazy. It used crazy. to be higher, actually, but it, it fell, and now it's going back up, which it should mm-hmm. because it deserves to be in the top 10. Through the Ages, A New Story of Civilization is down three. Which is surprising to me because the app has been out now for a couple of years. It's much more accessible as a game. Um, Star Wars Rebellion is down one. It's pretty firmly locked in here at number eight. Mm-hmm. Gaia Project is up one. So Star Wars and Gaia Project just kind of switched spots. Um, and then the last new one on the list, before we get to the rest, the top five has not changed in the last year and a half, is Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion is at number six. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I think about that because number one... Spoiler is Gloomhaven, and now we have Jaws of the Lion at number six, and Frosthaven's coming out this year, and will probably also end up in the top ten. And I'm not a fan of three games with the same mechanics being the top ten. Um, I, I, you know, I haven't played Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion. I have played Gloomhaven. I haven't played Frosthaven yet. Obviously, I don't think many people have because it hasn't come out yet. It's it's just weird. I, I don't know. Again, I, I think this game certainly deserves to be in the top one hundred, but. I think if I could go back in time, I would play Draws of the Lion and probably love it a lot more than Gloomhaven, which was the endless, endless grind, which again, yeah. people like, but you know, I'd like to play a shorter grind um, yeah. of the campaign. Mm-hmm. Just 25 games instead of 130. Or <laughs> no, I don't want to go back. <laughs> All right. And then the number, the top five, uh, Twilight Imperium, fourth edition. Sure, sure, sure. Mars, Brass Birmingham. Big surprise. Endemic big Legacy surprise. Season 1 and Gloomhaven. Okay. So, Do you think, Anthony, in fact, any of these games, by the next time we look at this list, knocks off Gloomhaven? No. <laughs> no, okay. I don't. <laughs> None of these are ascending right now. And like the, the gap between Gloomhaven and the one below it is almost a full tenth of a point. Mm. Um, honestly, I, I would expect Frosthaven to potentially jump up there and, and do some oh, wow. damage more than I would expect this. But um yeah, no, I, I don't expect it. Like if more people played some of these bigger games, maybe. Um Brass Birmingham seems to be on the cusp of getting into number two. It's very close sure. based on those numbers, but I don't see it catching up to number one. I could see honestly, I mean again, depending on when we kind of circle back around to this. But if the Dune movie, the the second part, part two comes out, considering the fact that it just popped into the you know the top one hundred here at such a high number, number sixteen, haven't played the expansion yet, but I think it would need more than just that kind of expansion. It would need something a little bit more. But I could see it messing around in the top five. I just mm. think that it's one of those games that's it's accessible because obviously it is it's from the people who came out with clank so it's an accessible kind of card game 
and it has a rich lore to it. So I think like obviously Lord of the Rings and several other games, it could rock it up um, in a way that was kind of unexpected because I don't think it's, it, I don't think it's really gotten out to the mass audiences because of COVID because it came out, it came out around right. that time. So I think this is a game that you, I could see a lot of people playing competition games and there's a lot of mm. love and fascination for Dune. So I think that's the only thing a game I, I think that could really come in here and just jostle the top five. I don't know if it'll ever get to number one, but I, I could see it doing some significant damage. It's a Euro game and it's an Amerithrash game at the same time. And those usually typically do really well. Um, again, the problem here is twofold for BGG. One is they have games that there are older editions that should honestly be retired to like a Hall of Fame like Twilight yeah. Imperium 3rd Edition, why is it still on this list? Like, it's not a different game. Just say it's one of the greatest games of all time, put it up on a shelf, and open the you know open the top 100 so other games could be advertised and not kind of suck up space. And again, the rating model, too, is always a little challenging and problematic because, again, Gloomhaven is still like a hundred-and-something dollar game, and Pandemic Legacy is only going to be played by certain people and the same thing for Twilight Imperium, right? The fourth edition. Like, that's not a game that you just go to a game store and just just jump in and play. That's just not a right. thing. So, but... Yeah, uh, I mean, if you look at that top 10, there's maybe three games that you could just drop on the table at any game point and teach people and play. Most of these require, like, a big organized game day with people who've watched the rules in advance and are ready to go. Um, this is some big, epic stuff up here. Yeah, I, I mean, and even three is a, is stretching it too, Anthony, a little bit. You know, I'll, I'll give it you is, th- yeah, yeah. So, all right, well, there you go. The top one hundred board games of all time on Board Game Geek. The winners, the losers. We will keep up with this list to let you know what is hot and what is not. And again, we've you know we've looked at this list over, like you said, Anthony, like the last nine years or so, and. There was a time where we never thought Puerto Rico would get pumped out. We never thought that um, uh, Twilight, uh, not Imperium, Twilight, was it Encounter? Which, which Twilight was it? Struggle. It was one of the Twilight. Twilight Struggle. Twilight yeah. Struggle. Good, good. It wasn't what the one about the vampires and werewolves. Thank God. Um, <laughs> oh, there was, there was no many sparkles. games. In the, yeah, there was many games in the top 100 that never seemed like they were going to leave. So eventually at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, the number one and number two will jump down. But again, like you said, Anthony, it might be Frosthaven that just kind of like draws all the attention back. You know, eventually Gloomhaven's going to burn out and Frosthaven's going to take up all the oxygen. So we'll see. All right. So, Anthony, until next time, this is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Happy Valentine's Day. Bye. <laughs>